Hello and welcome to the Moonshots podcast. It's Friday, December 22, 2017. We're at episode 16. I'm your co-host, Mike Parsons, and as always, I'm joined by the one and only Mr. Chad Owen. Hello from Texas, Mike. How is it down in Texas? I hope you're ready for some serious Christmas and holiday uh, feasting. Oh, it's great. You know, staying with the in-laws, decorating the Christmas tree. It's, uh, it's always That's fun. That's great. That's great. And, and we will not only be uh, feasting over the holiday break, but we are going to feast on this show. So, Chad, what have we got coming up on this episode of the Moonshots podcast? Mike and I have been having fun for the past, what, seven months, six yeah. months, decoding the wisdom and insights of 15, well, actually more, uh, entrepreneurs, disruptors, and innovators. And we decided that as kind of a year-end recap, as people are ought to do, take a look back and see who dropped some of the best insights, what clips were our favorite from each of the shows, and give you maybe some of our newer listeners you know, a taste of what we've covered uh, since we began recording. Yeah, and uh, it was a delight to, to go back over the, the 15 episodes. Oh, my gosh. So many learnings, so many goodies, thoughts, ideas, so much inspiration from some of the world's very best entrepreneurs and innovators. And we've, we've kind of put them into uh, four buckets Big bucket was uh, around uh, learning. It was a big theme of the year from many different and diverse innovators. We've also got their beliefs. So things that they believe, behaviors that they embody. We've got a ton of mental approaches, so sort of mental models, if you will, how they see the Mm -hmm. world. And then some of them just have outstanding ideas. So, Chad, I just, I, this, Actually, collecting all the clips for this show sort of rekindled my love of all the things we discovered, and I can't wait to to charge through all these uh, clips and ideas. They were just so inspiring. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to get right to it too. So, do you want to just jump right into the clips? Yeah, let's do it. Let's kick off with uh, Chris Sucker, very interesting character, without doubt one of the best tech venture capitalists worked at Google, did a ton of stuff. Let's have a listen to what Chris Sucker has to share with us and his big idea around thinking about end users. Oh my gosh, what didn't I learn at Google? So I think one of the first things I learned at Google is one of the things that they teach everybody there, which is focus excessively and obsessively on end users, on their experiences, and that a lot of the traditional distractions in building a product kind of get in the way of really cool innovation. So if you think too much about cost up front, about how many CPU cycles somebody's going to use, how much bandwidth, how much storage, or even if you think about the politics, which partners you might piss off, et cetera, all those things can cloud building really cool products there. And so one of the things they did was actively discourage people from thinking about a business model. Instead, just focus on an end user problem and do everything you can to solve that problem right up front. And then later, if you've created value, we'll find a way to capture that value back. Yeah. Capturing uh, value with the end user, 
what a, what a key learning, not only from Chris Sucker, but a big theme. We saw Jeff Bezos, he was customer obsessed. Richard Branson lives his entrepreneurial life through that lens of being the customer. I think this, this clip really matters because it really outlines the, the practice that Google employs to be so successful, which is an obsession around end users, fixing problems, addressing use cases that we all struggle with trying to get things done. Well, Google is, is focused on that first. How can they help us? And that's where they, they unlock the value. I thought, Chad, that this end user obsession has been not only a great lesson from Chris Sucker, but I think this came back a lot in many different ways in almost all of the shows, didn't it? Yeah, especially all of the tech entrepreneurs. Actually, the next the next disruptor on the list, Jeff Bezos, I think he would wholeheartedly agree with what Chris said about being focused on the end users. Right, yeah, he's sort of like in violent agreement with it. I would say he goes even a step further in uh, being customer obsessed. And this customer obsession gives them enormous firepower, not only in owning the world of shopping and e-commerce, but also distribution, they have the largest hosting company in the world. But what's interesting uh, about this next clip is he is starting to share with us how their business model works and how they can afford to be in so many different businesses, which traditionally in the in the old conglomerate sense is very, very tricky place to be. But let's have a listen to Jeff Bezos talking about the flywheel effect. I think the way to think about it from the consumer's point of view is that because we have this unusual way to monetize the premium content that um, we can charge less for the premium content than we would otherwise have to charge if we didn't have the flywheel spinning to help sell more shoes. So the flywheel effect. So Chad, you, you read a great book on Jeff Bezos and we discussed at length this, this flywheel uh, effect. What are your ideas, what are your thoughts on why this flywheel effect is not only so unique to Amazon, but what can our listeners really learn from this idea of being able to like be in the movie business and the selling shoes business at the same time? Well, I think it's really unique to Amazon's business model. They went out there and said, we're going to get into so many areas of our consumers' lives that every improvement and traction we get, say, in delivering packages to them quickly is going to get them, you know, even more interested and liable to purchase uh, premium content through Amazon Prime and to, you know, potentially go into an Amazon retail store that they've now launched. Jeff is a really interesting founder and CEO in that he's not just kind of selling one solution to the customer. He's trying to meet all of the needs of the customers. You know, that's why Amazon bought Whole Foods. That's why that's why he's diversifying Amazon's portfolio in such a wide, you know, like you said, everything from, you know, hosting most of the internet on the backbone of Amazon web services mm-hmm. to buying buying a retail, you know, organic food chain like Whole Foods, making those small little inroads in all areas of the consumer's life is has kind of like this add-on effect 
that he talks about is like you, you get that wheel spinning of meeting the customer's needs and then developing products and services to meet other consumer needs is that much easier. Right. And, and what's so powerful is that you mentioned before um, how customer obsessed they are. They actually, their mission statement is just to be the world's most customer-centric company, period. And what's really interesting is through that obsession, they've unlocked that flywheel effect that we've been mentioning. And I think what's particularly important is when you identify a second area of value creation uh, in your product or service, what happens is when you have two of these things, such as providing great movies through Amazon Prime and their studios, and then being able to sell more shoes because of it, you get this compounding where they feed each other. And this, exactly. is, this to me is the heart of their competitive advantage. The more people watch content, the more people that end up buying. The more people that end up buying end up watching more content. And this is where they become a, a, a juggernaut. So if anyone is really fascinated in this and wants to learn how to apply it to their business, go to moonshots.io, look up the show archive, go to the Jeff Bezos episode, and you will find that we go really, really, really deep into that whole universe of the flywheel effect and the, the customer, customer obsession that, that they have. But some of the viewers may have a question and like, how do they get that process started? Right. And the next clip we have from Sir Richard Branson, I think is a fantastic way to come up with new business ideas that, you know, he and others, especially like our, our guest of the show, Gary Hoover from the Fred Smith episode to carry on a notebook uh, to write down these ideas that I get inspired in the same way that Richard does. So I'm going to let our listeners hear from Richard and how he gets inspired with all of his new business ideas. The best businesses come from um, people's bad personal experiences. I mean, it, you know, like people who are listening to this program, I mean, you know, if you just keep your eyes open, you're going to find, you're, you're going to uh, find something that frustrates you. And then, and then you think, well, you know, I, I can maybe do it better than, than, um, than it's being done. And there you have a business. I mean, if you can improve people's lives, you have a business. Um, and there is still, you know, people think, well, everything's been thought of. But uh, actually, you know, all the time, that's the great thing about capitalism. There's, there's uh, gaps in the market here, gaps in the market there, ways of improving things here, ways of improving things there. Mm. Frustration to business. Yeah, mm. I, I love that idea. Yeah, and you reminded me, he does, he carries around this notebook writing down ideas, such a simple practice. But it's sort of, it really, I don't know, it's so disarming, isn't it? It's so simple. He's like, well, what's frustrating uh, me like crazy? Uh, and, well, maybe I want to solve it. And, and it's, it was interesting that he just sees problems as basically business opportunities, doesn't he? Yep. Yep. And it's such an such a, uh, unusual, it's such a, uh, striking way just to walk around like, oh, that's a problem. Do I want to create a business to address it? And I think that um, what it shows to you is how you don't need to be a Harvard graduate. You don't need to be one of these super slick Silicon Valley guys. It's almost very essential behaviors such as listening, observing, empathizing, 
can lead to creating, in Richard's case, over 400 companies. He, he employs over 50,000 people. And it all starts with such a simple practice. Yeah. I just love the idea of take everything that frustrates you and turn it into a business idea. Mm. I mean, e- even if you're not acting on that, I think that at least for me, has really enriched my own experience and interaction with my clients because Mm -hmm. then I'm also looking at my clients' frustrations and seeing how I can turn that into opportunity to solve their problems better, faster, cheaper, et et cetera. So I think just that hyper-attunement to the inconsistencies of the world and the frustrations of the world uh, is a really, really, is a really, really great idea. Yeah, and and I thought the the other thing for our listeners, which is, very uh, useful was the amount of uh, ideas Richard Branson has around working with people and culture. But he wasn't the only one to have a real focus on optimizing the, the way people work together. And I, I really enjoyed digging into Ed Catmull and, and Pixar. And why don't we jump into his clip talking about the brain's trust, which is a way in which they create this very hyper transparent, open way for people to make ideas better. So here's Ed Catmull on the brain's trust at Pixar. So this group is based upon four principles. One is that it's peers talking to peers. It is filmmakers to filmmakers. It is not boss to filmmaker or boss to employee. The second principle is that we remove the power structure from that room. It doesn't mean we aren't organized around it, but in that room, we remove the power structure. The director makes the decision, not the group, not John Lasseter, not the executives of the company. By not allowing anybody else to override the director, it frees him or her to listen. They come in very vulnerable, presenting a film that they know doesn't work. That's a scary place to be. And it is important to place um, strong focus on the safety in the room. The third principle is to give honest notes to say what you really think and to listen to them. And the fourth principle is to watch the dynamics very carefully. Does everyone contribute? Does someone dominate? Are they really trying to help each other? Are they acting as if it's safe? Hmm. What kinds of uh, situations do you feel like this would have benefited you, Mike? Oh, my gosh. Um, Well, I can see this stark picture in my mind of times when I have sought feedback and candor from colleagues on ideas and comparing that to when I didn't, when I just charged in. And the reality always I can see is when I share my ideas, they get so much better than when I hold on to them and don't share. I I found this so powerful. This, This brain's trust idea matters so much because I believe it's at the heart of Pixar's incredible performance. They outperform their industry in enormous amounts. 
much like we saw with Chris Sucker explaining how Google wins, what we just got, I think, is how Ed Catmull and Pixar win. But I want to turn it back to you. You are in the storytelling business. Why does this impact you? Why does this matter to you so much, this idea of the brain's trust? What's so fascinating to me, just given Ed's background, you know, really as like a mathematician and a scientist first, is you hear this person like him that's running a company like Pixar talk about things like vulnerability, honesty, transparency, equality. And I just found that extremely refreshing because I think all of these things are not only just vitally important in running a company, but specifically, like you said, a storytelling company. I think for me Mm -hmm. personally, it's authenticity that really helps a story get wings. And I don't think you can have that authenticity if you don't have that kind of radical candor that protected yeah. radical candor, you know, it's, it's also important to yeah. protect, you know, the fragile egos of us filmmakers. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I think it, at least the honesty, transparency and vulnerability, th- those just really resonated with me and I think can be taken into any industry and in any company or even any, any team within a large company. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So true, Chad. Uh, I would say that What makes this clip and this idea really helpful to anyone who's an entrepreneur or innovator at the early stage or the late stage is this is a very practical example of how you can build culture in an organization that has a direct effect on the quality, the output, and and the profits. Mm. Because trust me, Pixar makes a lot of profit and you can actually track it back to this practice, which I feel is... uh, what makes this such a fascinating idea of the brain's trust? Mm. Well, Mike, this is kind of crazy, the, the, the speed in which we're going through these clips. But uh, the, the next one um, was one from one of our very early shows that had a kind of a giant wrench thrown into it because <laughs> the morning we recorded the show on Travis Kalanick and Uber uh, was the morning that his board actually asked him to resign. And so the kind of the timeliness of that was just really affecting to me. But, you know, despite all the reasons uh, that Uber has been, you know, in the limelight uh, and gotten some negative press, I still think Mm. that Travis has some very interesting insights as a founder, you know, as someone that ran a company it wasn't really a company is more than a rocket ship. Uh, (laughs) um, And his kind of core idea at the heart of what Uber was doing for its customers. Then we're not selling your time. We're actually, um, we're giving time back. We're making your time more valuable. Um, And we believe that sort of, you know, we, we have these like four sort of dimensions of magic at Uber and, um, one of them is about time and giving people that time back. So, so because of what we do, I think it, it makes a lot of sense. I, I don't say, oh, we're not a Silicon Valley, you know, we're not a Silicon Valley company because we think of it different. We're just not a media company. Um, and so while media companies might take a little slice, we will give more than that back uh, through efficiency. And that's kind of what we do. Hmm. I, I think this clip is really important because... One of the themes that we really got into on the Travis Kalanick show was 
Uber's business model, it's a supply and demand, two-sided marketplace. Okay, that's, that's pretty straightforward. However, what's particularly interesting is they have a direct company to end customer paying relationship. We use our credit cards to pay for the Uber services. Now, what's really interesting about that is that when you compare it to Facebook and Twitter, Facebook and Twitter need to occupy more of your time. They might call this engagement. Uber is actually interested in maybe increasing your frequency of usage of the service, but they want to compress time. They want to give time back to you. Now, this is why I love the strength of their business model, and that is that they are not, there are no opposing forces here. You might argue that Facebook needs you to tell more and more of your personal information so they can go monetize that. And they monetize that with a third party who they essentially give access to that private information to. So there's a certain tension in that business model that doesn't exist in Uber. Because you are the customer. Yes. At, at, at Twitter and Facebook. Yes. You are the media. You're the asset that they're selling. So, so this creates a tension that Uber doesn't have. And it's a straightforward transaction direct with the customer for the service. And the ability to give you back time is so true because one of the things that is so true is that I love Uber because I don't have to spend time parking the car. I can actually tee up my departure. I can do other things while I'm in the Uber. The, the benefits just on time are enormous with Uber. And I, I would think any entrepreneur creating a, a service that customers are going to pay for it should be a question of how much time are you saving for your customers? And I think that's what Travis is teaching us in this clip. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And again, I, I didn't want us or our listeners to overlook our show about Travis just because he got ousted as the CEO of Uber. You know, there's a reason that it's, it's what, a $13 million, $14 billion company at this point? Um, yes. yes. It's, yeah, it's enormous. And it's because of the value or invaluable of time mm-hmm. um and he you know I, I also love it because it's a dig at facebook and twitter and other you know media silicon valley giants because my, my own personal thinking is right alongside his you know like i don't want to participate in those ecosystems because i'm i'm the asset yes. i am you're the product the product that's yeah. yeah and and i think you know to this day that still just feels a little icky to me Exactly. It, re- it really is a, an, an underlying uh, tension there. So that's, so that's five clips we've just done. Uh, we've raced through um, thinking about customer obsession, the flywheel effect, you know, Branson's neat little tactic of turning frustrations into businesses. And, well, I mean, there's a lot just there. So if you're hearing any of these ideas and you want to know more, Just go to moonshots.io. You'll find all of the full episodes there. You'll find some of our thoughts around them, links, all sorts of goodies. So that's moonshots.io. Yeah, and we we spend an hour or longer with each of these individuals um, getting between six or sometimes even eight or nine clips from each of them. So yeah, as we've gotten to the end of the year, I've been going back and listening to our shows too and I've really enjoyed hearing from all of them again. Mm. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Why don't you uh, Why don't you take us into the next block of all these thoughts and ideas from innovators and entrepreneurs, Chad? 
We had a really interesting live show uh, from Amsterdam. Shout out to uh, all of my Amsterdammers. <laughs> it was it was great because we got to actually speak to several Dutch entrepreneurs, and one of them was Martin Van Fort, who works with a lot of uh, founders and executive teams at startups, really helping them achieve you know scale, overwork. Or, you know, get over some of their obstacles and had some really great, you know, advice for us. So I actually pose a question to him, to the live audience, and uh, here's what he had to say. In your mind, what's one of the biggest thing that is holding a company and an entrepreneur back from going, like you said, from 1 million, say, to 10 million? How do they get that 10x uh, company, you know, grow, grow to 10 million and then hopefully grow to 100 million? What, what's, what's one thing that you've, you've seen that's, that's been holding them back? I think first, you really need to have a clear plan, right? You need, need to have that big goal and you need to live it every day, right? Mm-hmm. You need to have a good plan, write it down, visualize it, and then live the plan. And mm-hmm. make sure that every day when you're in the office, when you work with the people, live the plan, stick to the plan. Mm. So again, it's one of these truths, borderline like folksy, transcendent truths. I mean, you could apply this to a business at any of the last uh, few decades, live the plan, stick to the plan. And whilst it's so simple to say, it's so hard to do. And that's what we learned from Martin, right, Chad? Well, not only him, but everyone else we, we spoke to, focus was a very big theme that emerged from, from speaking with all of them. And so what I was really taking away from Martin is the importance of yeah, get every you know, get your shit together and figure out what you're doing, and then do that. Yes. Don't get yes. distracted. I wanted to just quickly draw a parallel and ask you: Isn't that such a powerful idea that connects to how Chris Sucker, the investor we heard from at the top of the show, how he in when we did his show, he talked about he missed out on Airbnb and a number of investments, but he was very focused on only investing in companies where he could help and the companies that where he Mm -hmm. understood the business. And if he didn't understand Mm -hmm. it, he didn't invest. And it's very similar to what Martin was teaching us in Amsterdam. Yeah, exactly. It's in our DNA and personalities as entrepreneurs, Mike, to be distracted by the new shiny things. I think that's just, that's part of being an entrepreneur is, you know, we get excited when we see those frustrations and we're like, oh, you know, there's a new, there's a new idea, a new thing that I can do. And it's very easy for us to move our attention onto Mm -hmm. something else. And, you know, I think 2015 for me was kind of the year of being distracted and and not being focused. And I, I think, I think all of us can can learn uh, from from that sentiment, and this actually leads into the next clip where Bill Gates from Microsoft is talking about you know measuring I guess that focus. You know, how do you know if you're making progress along your stated goals? And so here he's actually just talking about the numbers. I think the the quality that uh, has helped me in lots of things uh, is a kind of measurement scientific framework where I go in and say did anybody handle this well what are the very best practices Uh, do we have numbers on that and let's get everybody measuring what they're doing and so they can strive to match what that 
the best achievement is. Uh, for us, often that's something like getting the vaccines out to all the children. Some very poor countries uh, do that extremely well because they get down to that local level and measure the activity. They make sure the inventory is there, they make sure the workers are showing up. So for me, I always uh, look at how can we do better, better measurement and use that to drive uh, the very best practices. Yeah, measure, 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 because you, you know, you only get what you measure. And what was so great about uh, this idea, this mental approach from Bill Gates, is we know that this is a very validated way to do great things. This is a very tried and tested way because in the show we did on Bill Gates, we not only uncovered that the measuring is really at the heart of his success, but he has applied it not only at Microsoft, but also at his own foundation. Mm -hmm. Both have succeeded greatly. I mean, he talks about massive reductions in disease and sickness that are directly attributable to his foundation and what they've been doing with vaccines. So we know this idea, it's ready to go. So I think what this really prompts is, what are you measuring in your business? What are you measuring? And this is why this clip matters, because I think if we all spend some time on that, we can all find better ways to measure, new things to measure. And this is why, for me, this is a powerful concept. You get what you measure. Yeah. And I think that's the only way that I could achieve focus is choosing that one thing to measure and then keeping myself accountable yeah. to that. So. That's what I'm going to be spending the next couple of the weeks doing is figuring out what that one thing is that I can really hone in and focus on and then be sure that I have a system in place to measure and also be accountable mm. to that. And one of the interesting things that we learned from Jack Ma is that his focus and his measurement is not just on next month or even next year. He thinks way beyond it. So this is the third mental model, mental approach that we have. So let's have a listen to Alibaba's CEO and founder, Jack Ma. Every strategic decisions we make, we have to ask one question. Is this decision we made solve society problem? Because we believe the bigger social problem you solve, the more successful you are. So if we do if this, cannot solve any social problems, we don't do it. Second, is this project is going to be successful in 10 years? If it's, it's going to be successful in 10 years, let's do it. If it's going to be successful in one year or one month, now more I would say, forget about it. Because why you can be successful in one year or one month? So we all have to put panel. And five years ago, we had a big debate about 10 years later, 20 years, what are the things that China society and the world live, want? So we say happiness and health. 2H strategy. There it is. That's his focus. Happiness and health. And if you're selling happiness and health to a billion people, I think that's a pretty good business. Ah, yeah. And um, I thought one of the things we explored in this, this show with Jack Ma from Alibaba was you can see very much the philosophical Chinese color and flavor to his thinking that you just don't see in Western CEOs. Yeah. Yeah. I think Jack 
the show with Jack's been actually one of our more popular shows, I think because of that complete difference in perspective uh, from most of our other, actually, I think everyone else Mm. actually is a Westerner. But it's also echoed by things that people like Chris and Jeff Bezos say about that customer obsession. Mm. They looked as a company at what the Chinese people actually needed, Mm. and they saw health and happiness. And so then they made that their mission. Yeah, and and you know you might hear health and happiness as as a vision it sounds pretty broad but one of the important things is having big vision ideas like this and this is a theme that we've covered a lot having a big bold vision gives you plenty of room to change grow and adapt uh, the types of products and services you create mm-hmm. plus this is what mobilizes people you cannot argue with the idea that any human being doesn't, you can't argue with this proposition of being happy and healthy. That's what we all want. So this is sort of a, a very powerful North Star to guide Alibaba and give me enormous confidence in, in the future uh, in front of them. But we, I think I should uh, let you uh, take us into our grand master of innovation and his mental model, which is probably not so much folksy, but we'd have to say it's probably one of the most sophisticated sci-fi. Oh and my gosh! So come on, hit us with it, Chad. Yeah, I'm, I think one of my favorite things about Elon Musk is how he could be a character in a science fiction book or story, and a lot of it is just how he thinks of the world. He's not really a scientist, but I think he thinks about the world in a very scientific way. And so here's a mental model of his that I think is immensely practical and just really fascinating. I think I look at the future from a standpoint of, of the probabilities. It's like, it's like a branching stream of probabilities. And there are actions that we can take that affect those probabilities or that accelerate one thing or slow down another thing, or make, you know, introduce something new to the probability stream, sustainable energy will happen no matter what. If there was no Tesla, Tesla never, never existed, it, it would have to happen out of necessity. It's tautological. The, the fundamental value of a company like Tesla is the degree to which it, it accelerates the advent of sustainable energy uh, faster than it would otherwise occur. So when I think, like, what is the fundamental good of a company like Tesla? I would say hopefully it does, if, if, it, if it accelerated that by a decade, potentially more than a decade, that would be quite a good thing to occur. That's what I consider to be the, 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 the fundamental sort of aspirational good of, of Tesla. Hmm. I can't help but think about the, the like multiple branching universes theory, the like infinite universes where every little action splits off into two directions where you did that thing or you didn't do that thing. And I just love how, again, kind of far into the future, Elon is thinking in in much the same way that Jack and Alibaba is. Yeah. And and I almost sort of go into matrix mode as he, uh, listening to that clip, you just imagine all these permutations and possibilities. And I think one of the interesting things he talks about is you, you, you can establish a company's value and impact from how much it speeds up the inevitable likely possibilities. So mm-hmm. bringing those to bear faster um, seems to be a big measure of his. And I, I think, you know, for anyone listening, please go back and listen to the Elon 
show because, I mean, he gave so many ideas in that show. I, I really encourage you to go check it out at moonshots.io. It's, it's, it's uh, worth a, a re-listen, and, and I think we're not far off, Chad, from doing a whole new show on Elon um, because he's done so much since we actually did the first show on him. Yeah, I think SpaceX just celebrated the 17th rocket launch. And this one was special because it was the first one that was done with an, uh, with a used, uh, launch via, uh, like a launch rocket right. and launch vehicle. So they had already been to space and back. And then now, now they're going, you know, back up into space. It was really, uh, really, really interesting. So yeah, I, I definitely look forward to doing another show. Yeah. With, with we'll Elon. definitely revisit Elon. So there you go. We've got four mental models um, uh, from the US to Europe, all sorts of goodies there. And we've got plenty more to come. We've got a lot to come from Jack Dorsey, the founder of Twitter. But we've also got some uh, less tech, but no less inspiring people such as Lady Gaga, Oprah Winfrey, and so forth. But Chad, you know, we always mark the halfway point in the show with one of your favorite books um, that you've been uh, reading on an entrepreneur. But this time, I guess my question to you is you've read a ton of bios and books on all of these innovators. What are your fondest reads? And, and is there one that perhaps in 2017 rose to the very top that inspired you or gave you lots of ideas? Yeah, this was actually pretty easy for me. The Everything Store by Brad Stone about Amazon and Jeff Bezos was was definitely my favorite of, of all the books that I read. I think Jeff's personal story is just really, really interesting. And there's a lot that we can learn and apply to ourselves, but also just gives you a lot of insight into him. And I, I feel like a lot of people maybe miss understand or misread him uh, in the same way that I think people do the same, you know, for Elon Musk and, and other tech founders. Mm, mm. Um, Brad Stone did a really great job of painting a holistic picture. You know, he, his journalistic style was not to like just embed with, with Jeff and only hear from Jeff. You know, he talked to all of the early people at the company you know, people that he knew in his childhood, you know, his parents, you know, everyone. And I think you get a really great rounded picture of of him and kind of how Amazon mm. was inevitable mm. for Jeff. You know, like he couldn't have done anything else really, you know, and been um, been fulfilled. And so, yeah, I can't can't recommend the Everything Store highly enough. It's it's an extremely well written book. Brad Stone. I've read some of his other books. They're also very good. And then just the story of of Amazon, I think yeah. is really, really fascinating. I, you know, I don't know if I should be like inspired or afraid <laughs> of Amazon because, you know, I, I think that they, they really are going to take over the world in many ways. And I certainly think that Jeff Bezos has very good intentions, but you know, can a corporation have good intentions? You know, that's something that I'm still not quite sure of. <laughs> I, I know exactly where you're going there. I, I would put it to you this way, you know, I look at guys like Elon and Jeff and uh, I think they, they are very, very smart, enormously passionate, committed, I would even say courageous entrepreneurs and innovators 
But what they don't have for this infamy that they have, what they don't have as much in this world of personalities and media is what Branson and Oprah have. And, and both Richard Branson and Oprah Winfrey are outgoing, high emotional intelligence people. And they're incredibly charismatic storytellers. And let's be honest, Elon and, and uh, Jeff are neither of those. Hmm. And so what they, what they kind of find themselves fighting against is I wouldn't, they're not exactly perceived as, as Darth Vader, but they're certainly not as seen as Jedi Knights either. They no. fall somewhere in the middle, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it, it kind of just remains to be seen too. Like I would love to see both of them continue to run their companies, but they may not be able to, um, or they may, you know, spin off and do other things. And so, you know, they may have to leave their companies in the hands of other people. And can those companies, you know, share the same vision and mission if if they're not there anymore? Well, there's there's plenty to to learn not only from Jeff and from Elon, but a ton of the entrepreneurs we've got coming up in the show. So we've got another six clips from six fabulous, fabulous people. Um, and and the, the funny thing for me is that whether they're somebody you know very well, say Jeff Bezos, or someone who's a little bit more off the grid, such as uh, Chris Sucker, or for those who don't follow the sports world, uh, Bill Belichick, who's the coach of uh, the New England Patriots, He's coming up in this second half of the show and he is full of lessons, full of learnings for us as entrepreneurs and innovators, not just for the sports world, but for anyone in business as well. So we've got an action-packed second half of the show. Now, this next two categories that we're kind of shifting towards is now more about uh, how you can learn and what are the sort of beliefs that you can take into every day? What are the beliefs you can have when you wake up in the morning? How can you go about getting the job done? And we've got some absolute, absolute knock your dead ideas here. And someone who has always struck me as being super smart, almost Elon Musk-like, is Jack Dorsey. But Jack Dorsey has a lot of courage, um, wisdom and internal beliefs that are as equally as good as his product thinking. So Jack Dorsey is the CEO and founder of not only Square, but also of Twitter, two publicly listed companies and Square doing very well indeed. It's a payments company. Twitter, it's sort of in a turnaround process. And since doing the show, we're seeing obvious signs of Jack's Midas touch. And he's got a lot to tell us a lot to share with us, but let's dig into the beliefs, behaviors side of things. And here's Jack Dorsey of fighting for what he believes in. When I believe in something, I fight like hell for it. So when I believe in something, I fight like hell for it. And that has been my life. I've had a picture of what I wanted to see in the world. And I did whatever it took to make sure that it succeeded, to make sure that it thrived. Uh, in both company, in, in, in the case of both companies. There's a whole industry around this that's called dispatch. Uh, so I should find the biggest dispatch firm in the world and I should go work there because then I can 
see the entire city. And I found one. It was called Dispatch Management Services in New York City. They'd just gone public. And I could not figure out how to contact them. So I was, by this time, pretty good with computers. Very curious, uh, curious kid. And I figured out that they had a hole in their system. And I got into their system, and I found their email address list for the entire corporation. And I got the email for the CEO, and I got the email for the chairman. And I sent them an email and said, I'm, uh, I'm Jack. You have a hole in your system. Here's how to fix it. And by the way, I write dispatch software. <laughs> and a week later, I was hired. And that was my resume. So I moved out to New York City. I dropped out of school for the first time. I went to NYU. Uh, I started working on the system. I was loving it because I could see the entire city now. We had taxi cabs, we had black cars, we had couriers, we had emergency. I could see swarms of taxi cabs going to the Met for an event. It was just an amazing, amazing thing. And somewhere along the line, after that, I then dropped out of NYU. So I'm a double dropout, which I don't think anyone else can claim uh, in, the, in the dropout league. Um, I uh, dropped out of NYU, I went to San Francisco, and we started a web-based dispatch firm. Uh, the company was a complete and utter failure. But the one thing that I did realize during my time there was I had all these verticals. I could actually see the city in a very, very interesting way. But I was missing one key element, and those were the people. Where were the people, what were they doing, and where were they, what are they thinking? And that's where the idea for Twitter came from. Hmm. So what I'm taking away from this and why I think it's so important is it kind of shows the circuitous route to success. Like you could look at someone like Jack Dorsey and think that he was an overnight success and like, oh my gosh, he started two publicly traded companies. But if you dig deeper into it, actually, it was kind of his relentless uh, pursuit, his, you know, never never giving up fighting like hell that made it happen. You know, he wanted the job. So he hacked in and <laughs> got their emails, <laughs> you know, to get hired at the dispatch company. And even then he didn't rest on his laurels. He figured out that, you know, it was actually the people that were most important in that system. And then that gave him the idea, you know, for sharing information and what you were doing, which was kind of the start of Twitter. Right. And what helped him, you're so right, Chad, like, and what helped him overcome two dropouts of uh, college, what helped him overcome the failure of his own dispatch company was the belief and, and just fighting for it and never giving up. And, you know, the, the, the Paul Graham, a famous investor and founder of uh, y, y Combinator, says survival is success. And what he's getting at there is that so many people give up the good fight. You know, they try for some months, maybe a year. But you can see that Jack was fighting and believing in this for years. So you can't begrudge him all the success and good fortune he has now because he earned it undeniably. Mm. And so as entrepreneurs, this matters to us because you have to embark on a journey that truly matters to you that you believe in and you have to fight like hell for it right yeah yeah and this goes really nicely with our next clip from tim o'reilly and i'll just actually let him speak for himself you know when we uh started working on the open source movement 
It was because we said, hey, this is really important thing that nobody's paying attention to it. But we sold a lot of books because we told a big story that mattered to all those communities, that we made them proud of who they were, that we made the world know who they were. And it was great marketing for us. It was great because we were helping others and we helped our own business. Web 2.0, a lot of people don't realize this, but the reason why we started that marketing campaign was because after the dot-com bust, a lot of our customers were out of work. And we actually had our strategic goal in 2003 to reignite enthusiasm in the computer business. We basically, we went out there and we, we told a big story that was designed to help other people. And it, sure, it, it helped us build our business as well. Uh, you know, clearly I've been doing that in areas like open government. Uh, I'm looking at healthcare. I'm really interested in that. Hmm. Work on stuff that matters. So simple, easy to say, but boy, sometimes no matter what your intentions, you can find yourself going, what am I doing on this thing? Why am I doing this? Mm. What a truth, huh? Yeah. And I think combining Jack's thoughts about fighting like hell and combining that on things with real purpose that Tim shares, I think that's really inspiring. Right. And, and I think... If you think about how do you how do you make Jack uh, Jack's thoughts and Tim's thoughts come together? Like how do you how do you you know you, you find something you believe in and you fight for it and you've got to work on stuff that matters? I mean, there no one says it better in putting those two ideas into practice. Nobody says it better than Lady Gaga. So. Let's let's now just catapult into the world of music and creativity and hear what underlies her success and independence that is truly remarkable. So here's Lady Gaga. I just have such a love and affinity for show business. I just always felt famous. That's what my first album was really about, is that fame comes from within, inside of you and it's not something that you obtain. Mm -hmm. And I still feel that way in a lot of ways. I like to know that I can define my fame and define my beauty for myself, which is why I'm so vigilant and relentless about my image and my music is I will not allow, no matter how successful I become, for the public to define or indicate what it is that I create or what it is that I believe is beautiful or what I believe is mm -hmm. a hit pop record. That's who I am and I will, I will always be that way. Relentless and fearless and vicious. Gotta love her. Oh my gosh. Relentless, fearless. And even she drops that one at the end there. Vicious. I think what is so important uh, about this clip is there is no world full of distractions more so than the music and entertainment industry. And you can see her success, her independence, her creativity, her perpetual success lies in the fact she's pursuing her dream and she is taking no mm -hmm. prisoners. I think what was so refreshing about digging into Lady Gaga and her story and just and hearing from her was all of the parallels to kind of like the journey of an artist and the journey of an entrepreneur. They're not different. They're really the same journey. It's right. very, very different approaches. And I think that's why it was so refreshing to be like, oh, yeah, like 
and I think that's why everyone's gravitated towards her anyways, is like she has a very inspiring and kind of just magnetic personality. And I think that inspiration is very helpful and useful to, to entrepreneurs because we can get beaten down. We can feel like we're on the wrong track. Um, but that relentlessness and that fearlessness, I think, is is very encouraging. Right. And where I think uh, her popularity and her relentlessness come together is when people are on a mission, when people are pursuing their dream, I believe it creates a magnetism. It's just a contagious nature. You want to be mm. around people mm. like that, right? People who succeed time after time are relentless and fearless. They're pursuing their dream. They're working on stuff like ma uh, that matters, and they're fighting like hell. There's no doubt that these, you know, Jack, Tim, and, and Gaga, they all come together. I mean, there is a playbook. If you want to know how to believe and behave as an entrepreneur and innovator, it's right there. But I think we can go beyond the world of music, don't you, Chad? Oh, yeah. So you had actually brought up uh, the idea of picking a sports icon. And at first, I was thinking of players. But when you said Bill Belichick, I was like, yeah, we've got to learn from him because you don't win multiple Super Bowls in without having some nuggets of wisdom to share. Well, let's go. Let's go one step further. For those who are not NFL fans, winning more Super Bowls than any other and doing it with an enormous focus on taking perhaps not the showcase players of the world but creating good players and then inspiring them to become great. So let's have a listen to how Bill Belichick starts the journey of victory. There's a sign over there that says every battle is won before it is fought. You said that's one of the few signs you have in the Patriots headquarters. Sun Tzu, art of war. Um, it's all about preparation. You know what you're doing and you have an idea what the opponents can do, what their strengths and weaknesses are. Um, then once you get into the game, then those adjustments will be, um, I won't say easy, but relatively easier, more manageable. How do you know when you're well enough prepared? When everybody knows what to do. Because our game's so fast, things happen so quickly. So you review the situations, you review the communication, you try to make sure that everybody's on the same page. If it's too complicated, it's probably not gonna work. Right. Uh, if it's too simple, uh, that might not work either because it's too obvious. So you try to find that, that, that fine line in the middle where it's uh, challenging enough for your opponents, but uh, something that you can execute. Again, it comes down to execution. Sun Tzu, yeah. Mm. So good. I mean, there is so much to take from sports into business from from Bill Belichick. I, where do, why does this why does this clip matter to you as an entrepreneur, Chad? Well, in doing the research on Bill, I read a great book called The Education of a Coach. And Bill had been studying film since he was a little kid. His father was a coach. And so he's probably watched I would say like millions of hours of football film. So he just knows the game so well that everything becomes kind of automatic for him. And that's what he's, he kind of flippantly says, oh, well, when we, you know, when you're ready, when you, when you know what to do, but it's really what you know what to do without thinking about it. 
And so he's kind of creating those automatic responses to different inputs. And I think that's what we can take away as entrepreneurs is knowing your customers, your employees, and the work that you're doing so well that in this fast changing environment, you know how to react and what to do without having to think about it, without having to have meetings and strategize about it. You just know how to execute. Yeah. And, uh, this idea of getting prepared and organized, everybody knows what to do. The communication is clear. Right there, if we ask ourselves and reflect on our teams and our companies and businesses, do they know what to do? Is the communication clear enough? You will often find there's plenty of work to do just yeah. there in getting prepared, having a plan and communicating it. And I think that... Um, to show the span of the philosophies that we're really getting into, to show their applicability, we can go from tech, we can go to flying jet planes, we can go to Pixar. But I thought our last clip of this beliefs section just shows you, again, how much we can learn uh, from many different areas and fields of success, different types of entrepreneurs and innovators. And so let's have a listen now to Oprah Winfrey going deep into our souls. When you align your personality with what your soul came to, and everybody has it, align your personality with your purpose and nobody can touch you. And you wake up every day and you are fired up. You just, just like, oh my God, another day. It's so great because everybody has a purpose. So your whole thing is to figure out what that is. Your real job is to figure out why you're really here and then okay. get about the business of doing that. Okay. That's it. That's it. <laughs> yeah, I've, Simple, right? Figuring out why you're here, that, like that, that we couldn't do in one podcast, let alone probably a hundred podcasts. But that idea of striving towards that, I really <laughs> love. And honestly, I think that's why entrepreneurs become entrepreneurs. Like we don't want to, I'm trying to use some tame language. We, we don't want to chain ourselves to someone else's purpose or mission. You know, we want to find our thing and then make that thing happen in the world. And so that's why I think this encouragement from Oprah is so important. Yeah. And if you're really, I mean, at this time of the year, people are perhaps doing a little bit of reflection and resetting. I think start with Oprah, start with our Oprah show, because, oh my gosh, she talks and inspires us mostly around find out why you're on the planet, what you're, what the things that delight you, that bring you to life and just go out and do more of those. And I can't tell you how much I have and do try to do things that I love with people that I love. Mm. And this is, you know, it's a forever check-in for me. I'm forever realigning to, to, to this. And I found this such an important thought to have professionally and personally. Yeah. And I don't think if we're not checking in on those things, that's when, you know, it starts to become a grind. We do you know, poor work. Yeah. I just, yeah. When those things are out of alignment, it can cause some real problems. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that when you, when you have the right beliefs and behaviors, you know, it really sets you up mentally 
to listen, mm. to hear, to understand what's happening in the world and to go on and, and be a success, right? Mm. So, you know, that brings me to our final entrepreneur, a little bit of a, a dark horse. So this takes us to a world of learning. So, Chad, why don't you introduce to us the last but not least uh, clip that we're going to share for our 2017 wrap-up. So because this show is kind of our co-creation and, and small child, Mike, I, I don't want to pick favorites, but I really enjoyed recording this episode uh, because we had a guest with us, Gary Hoover, uh, founder of Hoover's um, and a mentor of mine from the University of Chicago. I also wanted to give out a shout out to our other guests that we've had this year, Simon and Lauren. Thank you so much for appearing uh, with us. But it was great to, this was our first departure away from tech and away from Silicon Valley. And Fred Smith, the founder and still CEO of FedEx, Mm-hmm. started and run this company for over 44, 45 years. I mean, that's practically unheard of. Yes. And Chad, let me tell you one thing. They, uh, I believe a day or two ago, released their latest earnings report. One of the best ever in the history of the company. Yeah. And Fred really, I think, is running the company in the same way that he began it. And I think he's only able to remain in control of this company because of what he's going to share with us in this, in this clip. So you have to, if you want to play at a high level, whether it's politics or medicine or uh, sports uh, uh, or business, you have to absorb the lessons of history or you're going to make a terrible mistake that has already been made before because there's been a lot of things done in human history that, that are there for the, for the asking in terms of, of reading about them. Learning, I mean, was there a theme uh, that was more popular and more shared between all these wildly different people, Chad, over the course of the year? I don't think so. I think a commitment to lifelong learning is a shared trait amongst every single person that we profiled. Yeah, and you can expand it to perhaps curiosity, uh, a, a thirst for knowledge, but every single person touched on this theme of not standing still in terms of how they see the world and understand the world. And uh, whether it's Bill Gates has uh, doctors, physicians on call so when he's learning about a disease, if he doesn't understand something, he emails them and gets these instant answers. I mean, he is learning more now probably than he ever did. But He also uh, takes his Think Week where he goes yes. away and reads 10 or so books. Absolutely. Uh, and comes back to try and apply them to, to his foundation. Mm-hmm. Or whether it's Bill Belichick quoting ancient Chinese philosophers or whether it's, you know, Chris Sucker uh, going well beyond that of technology and, and thinking about what you can learn from famous authors. It really... Elon Musk becoming experts in renewable energy and rocket science and, uh, and ve- you know, vehicle manufacturing. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I mean, yes. It just goes on and on and on. And I, I really do like this theme because it, 
it really speaks to the path for all of us to to be better uh, at how we work, to how we live, how we share and participate in experiences with our friends and family. In fact, I would say that's probably the central motivation that that both you and I that we started this podcast together, right? Exactly. Yeah, not to get too meta, but I, I think this desire for lifelong learning is precisely why, you know, you and I have decided to remain in touch, you know, after kind of our first collaboration a few years ago, and then eventually want to get together and, and start this podcast because we wanted to learn from all of these amazing individuals. Absolutely. And I, I would have to tell you that sometimes like when we would do, you know, I don't know, Jack Ma or Lady Gaga, you're like, hmm, Fred Smith, huh? I don't know, what can I learn from these guys? And then the magic for me is you're listening to an interview or a keynote and you're like, whoa. Or Jack Dorsey, who I know is a product guy, talking about fighting for the things he believes in and, and this opening up of my neurons and my brain just going crazy like, wow. Or even Chris Sucker, who's a bit collegiate, casual, cheeky, then drops Huge wisdom, like sleep well at night, nothing else matters more, do the right thing. And you're like, whoa, reframe, this guy's got some serious stuff to talk about. That to me is the magic of us learning together is when we discover these ideas and then we bring them together, Chad, and then you just drop wisdom on it that I didn't see or you bring clips that I didn't see. Uh, to me, there's w what better way to spend an hour together with someone than just learning together. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I want to just thank you and the listeners for going on this journey with us. I, I know that Mike and I aren't alone in this. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the questions, the feedback, whether you're a 13 year old uh, on the bus in Sydney or whether you're an entrepreneur in Amsterdam, each and every one of you, we, we can't say thank you enough for your support and your, your encouragement. And it was certainly great to meet so many listeners in, in Amsterdam. It was just, uh, you know, so beyond my expectations, what I feel like I got out of uh, doing this show together with you this year, Chad. Yeah, and I, I want to just make a personal ask for the listeners to send us an email at hello at moonshots.io uh, with your favorite clips and your favorite shows and also you know who you want us to to learn from together next year you know mike and i have kind of our own thoughts on this but we'd love to hear from you um especially if you have someone that's maybe a little off the beaten path uh from the kind of silicon valley tech entrepreneurship bubble yeah and we've got so many areas of investigation uh, for next year we're going to keep going with our investor uh, and venture capitalist uh, spotlight. We'll do a spotlight on design. Uh, we'll have a look at some great partnerships and founders. We're going to have a look at all sorts of different innovators and entrepreneurs. I think we've got some special edition ideas, maybe uh, tools of innovation, innovation gone wrong. What can we learn? And I think we want to we want to do more events, don't we, Chad? Yeah, I, I will, I'll come to Sydney. You just give me a date. 
<laughs> well, that's that'll be no problem at all. So I'm sure we want to get back to Amsterdam, and there's lots in the pipe there. And I'd love to I'd love to get back to San Francisco and do a show uh, there. So I'm 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 busy tickling up a few friends to see if we can organize something around an event. Yeah, and bring you um, to New York as well. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Plenty, plenty of possibilities next year. But um, tell, tell me, Chad, like, what's, what's the plan for the following week? I, I am, I'm assuming uh, there's going to be some, some cooking down there in, in, in Texas, some good time with family and friends. What are you looking forward to the most? Oh, yeah. I think, yeah, just time with family is the most important for me, just, you know, to get all cheesy. But uh, I'm a huge board gamer evangelist and have gotten my entire extended family obsessed with board (laughs) games so this evening we actually are having an epic uh board game session i'm trying out some new games and uh looking forward to quite a few more uh over the holidays here before going back to new york and you know batting down the hatches for for 2018 uh that's that is so awesome i think uh there's no better way than uh, being around a board game. I have such memories of my family when I was growing up playing Trivial Pursuit together. And, uh, oh, my gosh, to be a fly on the wall as Owen, uh, the larger Owen family are battling it out um, with, your, with your board game adventures. That sounds, that sounds really awesome. I, on the other hand, will probably be uh, trying to survive uh, epic heat, which uh, could be forecast for Christmas Day here in Sydney, Australia. So I'll be close to the pool uh, with family, with friends, and um, just reflecting, I think, uh, in, the, in the late part of December on what I want to achieve in, in 2018. And I can't wait to make you and Moonshots and the audience part of that. So a big thank you uh, to you and everyone, uh, Chad. It's been a fantastic year. Yeah, and again, thank you listeners. Mike and I have no intention of stopping this anytime soon. Uh, So we love that you're here alongside us uh, for the ride as we learn from hopefully dozens more entrepreneurs, innovators, and disruptors. Uh, I just want to say again, thanks to everyone, Mike, and I hope that everyone has an amazing 2018. Absolutely. So thanks again uh, from us in Brooklyn and Sydney. We send our best wishes to everybody and we can't wait to learn more ideas and get more inspiration on how to be great entrepreneurs and innovators with the Moonshots podcast in 2018.